All right. So for those who don't know, before I actually start my message, because there's some new people I haven't introduced myself to here, my name is James. Um, I've been going to this church for probably about a year, I think, and some change. And for those who don't know me, just a quick background, um, I didn't grow up in the church. I, uh, like many Americans, kind of had this nominal Christianity in our lives where we go to church on the holidays, but then, you know, whatever goes around the house, you know, you're just culturally Christian, if that's even a thing. Um, And then when I was like 12 years old, I was like, I don't even think God is real. I didn't have the word atheist because I didn't have access to the internet and didn't like reading. I was 12, but I was like, I don't think there's a God. And, but my mom would take us to church sometimes. And by the time I was 16, I was like, I just don't think religion is worth much at all. And then about the age of 26 or 27, somewhere in there, I got contacted by a friend of mine named Lonnie Ridgeway. And uh, he was, you know, we went to college together, so he would always reach out to me, always invite me to church. I had so many excuses. One time I told him, oh, yeah, I'm actually going to church on Easter already. But that was a lie. I actually partied the night before and was slightly hungover, so there was no way I was making it. But I told him that because I was tired of him bothering me. Um, But for some reason, I was really interested in, in knowing something. I wanted something more in life. Um, because it just didn't feel fulfilling. Didn't feel fulfilling. And so I started looking at all types of different religions and philosophies and things of that nature. And I finally was like, let me try this Christian thing. Let me just see if it's worth anything. I went um, and found this church that Lonnie went to called Heart of the City. I started listening to the sermons, not as a believer, and I was like, I didn't like a single one of them. It was against all my worldviews. It was, it was offensive to me. I was like, what is this guy talking about? Especially there was one about, like, submission or something, like, just in general. I was like, I, I'm an American. I don't submit to no one, you, you know? And so I was like, this is nonsense, you know? I don't like what Christians have to say. But for two months before I even went to a church, I listened to a sermon, like, consistently, starting from the beginning when they first had it to, like, caught up to wherever they were. And then since that moment, I've been following Jesus since... I think October of 2016. So, and so it's been an awesome journey from that time. I've have been in ministry in some sort for almost um, six years, whether it's small group leader, youth pastor, young adult stuff, um, just a lot. Young wives mentor. It's been truly a blessing, and um, I just really love teaching the Bible. I love serving the Lord, even with all my flaws and mistakes and all those things. God has blessed me in so many ways. Um, And so it's really an honor to always speak to people about who Jesus is. Now, before I start the sermon again, I guess, right, a real introduction, I want to tell you guys a story. You guys like stories, right? So there was once this Southern pastor visiting a Reformed Presbyterian church. Now, anyone who's been to a Reformed Presbyterian church knows that they can be a little stuffy and uptight. Good theology, if I say so, that's just my bent, but a little stuffy. And anyone knows about Southern Old Baptist preachers, there's two types, right? There's the very boring ones who uh, sing hymns, and I love hymns, no offense. And then there's the ones who have a little more uh, swagger in their step, you know, a little more uh, oomph, if you should say so. And this pastor was visiting this Presbyterian church, and, uh, you know, he was talking about this 
this thing of uh, working together, you know, different denominations coming together, like work for something like uh, Young Lives, which we support here, and you should support too. We're looking for volunteers and more fun. So look into it. Talk to me after if you're interested. But he was talking about something like that. Yeah, I threw a pitch in with my story. That's all right. And there's a section where the pastor was preaching. This Presbyterian church who isn't used to such dynamic preaching was really into it. First, the pastor said, we don't just need to run. He said, we need to walk. And the church said, yeah, we do, pastor. That was the first time they shouted back. Then the pastor kept saying, he said, we don't just need to read our Bibles. Church say amen. amen. We need to live our Bibles. And the church responded, yeah, we do, pastor. We need to live it. And then the pastor said, we don't just need to walk the walk. We need to talk the talk. And the church said, you know what they said. What they say, church? Amen. There we go. And then the pastor said, and I think Tommy will appreciate this, we don't just need to tithe. We need to double. We need to triple. We need a quadruple. And the church said, I don't know about that one, pastor. <laughs> now, the point of this story is to show you that the church in itself is very diverse, whether it's preaching, teaching, theology, politics, um, whether the church is more uh, reformed or charismatic, um, whether it's our philosophy or doctrines, the universal church in itself is very diverse, right? Our church is different than maybe somewhere like Mountain City or Muldoon or uh, Unite, but we're all a Christian church, the visible universal church. And if you ask 10 Christians, right, about the theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll probably get 16 different answers, depending on the day. And we know that the church has many divisions, but there are a few doctrines that we cannot disagree on. One of these doctrines I will be talking about today, to me, this doctrine is so important that if you belong to a church that does not affirm this, I suggest that you leave. Now, what could this doctrine be about, you're wondering? Because that's a strong statement to say that I am saying, I'm putting a red line here that you cannot cross. It is who Jesus is. And I'm going to say this as plainly and simple as I can. Jesus is God. Now, he is God, the creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Now, many people in here, I'm probably assuming most of you who I do know, already affirm that. So you're probably saying to yourself, okay, we already know this. What's the point of having this sermon? If you're like me, because that's what I would say. <laughs> I don't always have the best attitude, right? But I think this is important because it's a good reminder on how we can evangelize people who disagree with us. Because I truly believe that if you don't understand who Jesus is, you don't understand the gospel. Now, there's a fancy theological word for this, and it is known as Christology or Christology, however you pronounce it. I heard people say it both ways. And if it was up to me, if I had more time, I would do a 10-week study on the identity of Christ. But I don't. But because there's so much to talk about, the historical context, the different scriptures, um, the, the, the way the gospels were written. There's a lot you can talk about, the apologetic nature of it all. But I'm going to do it today in less than an hour. So are you guys with me? Yeah. All right. So I have three goals to this sermon here. First, the scriptural evidence that Jesus is God. Second, why it matters. 
And third, why is it important to your personal life? Because I truly believe that if I come up here and give you a lecture, it will be pastoral malpractice to not give you practical advice on how to apply this. So, there is a common misconception when we're talking about how to understand this idea of Jesus' divinity. Many will say, and it's just a lack of knowledge, is that you only see this idea in the Gospel of John. That is incorrect. I'm going to show you that this is throughout the New Testament. Not just the Gospel of John, but Matthew, Luke, and Mark, and throughout the letters of Paul, James, all of them, right? And this is very important because people will say that. They'll say, oh, this is like the idea of progressive uh, theology where it's something that developed later throughout the centuries, but it's simply not. The early church has always affirmed that Jesus is God. You will not find a single church father, unless they're a heretic, so they're not a church father, right, that does not affirm that Jesus is Lord. So, we're going to start, though, in the Gospel of John, and everyone's favorite verse, our go-to one. Who knows what that verse is? John 3.16. No, man. John 1.1. 1, 1. Thank you. Good job, Leslie. <laughs> Almost, though, guys. That is, I guess, the most famous verse, isn't it? My, my, my bad. My bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to start singing every scripture I have now, man. I finally will solve my, uh, my memorization problem. So we're going to go to chapter 1. A lot of us know this verse, and I think it's very good because there's going to be times where you're talking to like a Mormon or Jehovah Witness or someone who's just curious about who Jesus is. And this verse here is a lot of times our go-to. So we're going to go start. I'm reading out of the NASB, and I was going to have slides, guys, and give you guys handouts. And life came and hit me like a brick these last couple weeks. So my bad. You're just going to have to read your Bibles yourself or just listen to my wonderful voice. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we're going to start here, and I'm just going to read certain sections of it. And we're going to do something called um, um, expository preaching of sorts. You know, we're just going to explain what each section means because I think this is the best way to go. It's easy to quote a Bible verse. But it's not always the best way. You want to explain it. You want to cross-reference it. Because you can't just do a verse. Sometimes you have to do a passage. Then you're doing a chapter. Then you're doing a letter, right? And then you're explaining the New Testament. Then you're explaining the Old. Because, like, because it's one thing to be like, okay, yeah, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Obviously, duh, right? And then the person's supposed to be like, okay, but what do I do with that, right? So we want to make sure we're able to explain what the verse means. So... Thank you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, oh, sorry, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we're going to stop here for just a moment, right? So what is the Word? The Word is referring to who? Jesus. Jesus. So we know that, right? And this is where, you know, you're talking to someone, you just want to start, stop right there. Be like, hey, okay, so that language might be a little confusing for you, but what this is referring to is Jesus himself. Now, this person, like if I was someone who was asking questions, I would say, well, where does it say that, right? Like you're saying this word, the word, <laughs> means Jesus, but I don't, I don't see that in that section. So what are you going to do, right? Well, you're going to continue on. 
So then we're going to go to verse 3. We're going to say, we're going to explain more. We're going to say, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Amen to that, right? So what does this mean? All things come into being through him? I would have so many questions if I did not agree with this statement or if I did not believe. This passage explained what? That Christ, because he is God, was at the beginning of everything. And we see through, throughout John, and this verse right here is just taking that and showing it right in your face, because the creator is the one who does what? Creates. You guys are running right along, right? And so this verse is key, but you can't stop there. What did I say earlier? We're going to do what? Cross-reference, right? So then I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians, and we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 19. Because we want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Uh, chapter 1, 15 through 19. Now, this verse here, we're going to read it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So if you're looking at that section just right there, you're like, oh, okay, like I see where you're tracking at. You're not just quoting one thing, you're quoting another and you're making a connection, right? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So when we're explaining these things, we can go, I mean, we could even... Just for time's sake, I'm not going to explain off Colossians. But you can just stop there and cross-reference and explain why we understand who Jesus is. Right? If I had just hours of time with someone, there's so many verses we could choose from to make all those connections. Because it's important that people understand that Jesus is the king of everything. Because there can only be one king, right? There can only be one number one. This isn't a democracy, you know? So this, like, makes people think, like, okay, you say God is the only one, but you're telling me there's three gods or three persons in one, which I'm going to do to Trinity next week, so be prepared for that. But this is to get people's minds making those connections. Tim Mackey calls them hyperlinks, where you're taking a verse and it's connecting to another verse, which is a really cool saying there. I wish I was smarter and thought of that, um, but I didn't. But I should copyright it or something, maybe put on a T-shirt, and then Cross an Acre can make some money. Tommy, is that a good idea? All right, we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> but we see these connections here. I like, if you, have, if you look at the title on that verse right before, what does it say? Someone tell me what it says there. Yes, the supremacy of Christ. There can only be one supreme. Can't be two can't be five or whatever. There's one God that we believe in and three persons. And Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, is supreme over everything. 
I really like what the New Living Translation says in Colossians 1.17. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. All creation together. Here's another part of the Bible you can reference. Go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to go to chapter 8. We're going to do some more of St. Paul here. So 1 Corinthians 8, we're going to read 5 through 6 real quick. For even if those so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, the Father, from whom all things and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things we exist through him. Now that might sound a little confusing, but let's think about it for a second. It's easy to miss if we're not careful. And it's very important. We can take our time with Scripture. We're not in a rush. You know, we can talk to someone for an extended amount of time, right, if they really need that explanation. But Paul here is saying that, um, yes, there are many idols. There are many gods. Remember, in the ancient world, they believe there are other gods that actually exist, not the God, but these other spiritual creatures that exist. And that these people pray to these many gods, and they have many masters. There's a god for the river, a god for the bridge. This is a real thing. Romans had a bridge god, which doesn't make sense, right? But hey, you know, god for everything, right? There's probably a chair god, I imagine. Um, But there is a god for everything. But we only have one god, right? Jesus, the image of the Father. He is flesh. He is God in the flesh who has created everything. What you want to do, we're making connections. We're weaving it together, right? Guys tracking along? It's just super important because I think sometimes we do not do the verses justice when we just like don't make all these uh, cross-references together. I'm going to show you guys like a little cool like uh, tool you probably have. So here's my study Bible. I bet a bunch of you have one of these. Um, A lot of times your Bible has the cross-references here. Like, you don't even need, like, a giant, I have all these commentaries, but honestly, this $50 Bible gives me all the cross-references I can use. I don't have to be like Matt and buy a million commentaries, you know, spend hundreds of dollars on it. I can buy a $50 Bible. Honestly, this is the John MacArthur Study Bible. He'll give them to you for free if you, like, email their church. So you don't really have an excuse to not use the tools available to you. Um, And then we're going to... Almost lost. Okay, so we're going to skip down. We're going to go back to John. So move your Bibles back to the Gospel of John. We're going to go back to chapter 1. And we're just going to kind of like skip all the way down to uh, 14 and 15 um, for we can talk about this a little more. Because I'm going to show you how to make more connections. Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So what's the cross-reference we're going to make here? Who was born first in the Gospel of Luke, John or Jesus? John. John was born first, right? But so why would John, the cousin of Jesus, say, well, he's existed before me, but he's my younger cousin? Who has an answer for that? He was there in the beginning, beginning, right? So these are like the little connections. It doesn't take a lot. You don't need a deep 1,600-page essay, 1,600-word essay, right? 
You can just take something so simple and ask a question like, okay, yeah, he's saying he's, uh, he's obviously, according to Luke, born before Jesus was, right? We already know that. But he's saying that he's existed before me. Like my younger cousins did not exist before me, right? But Jesus did because he's always what? Always been there. And then we, uh, we're going to go on to John 16. For his fullness we have received, and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. That's beautiful, isn't it? I love these cross-references. If you talk to, like, Matt, he will do this all the time, right? If you listen to any of the sermons that people come up here, whether it's Daniel or Nate or anybody, right, they come in, uh, Leanna, and they'll take all these verses and they'll make other connections, right? So we do this regularly, but sometimes I think we kind of forget about it, and it's always a good go-to. You know, if you need to sit down with someone, like, because I um, call myself uh, the Mormon hunter, <laughs> I get a lot in my neighborhood, I will sit and talk to him for like an hour, and I'll just reference a bunch of verses. Has anything ever come from it, far as I know? No, but we're called to reach the lost. You know, at first I wanted to say I was in the Jehovah Witness Protection Program, but I know the Lord's like, bro, you got to still talk to them too. But they're always fine my house. I don't know how. I don't know when they'll stop coming, but let them keep coming. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> now, we have talked about how in the book of Gospel of John, a lot of people say that this is the only gospel that shows that Jesus is God, and we've all agreed that that's not true, right? Because I told you that. Yeah, you're like, yes, James, you're, you're so smart. I know. <laughs> but I want to go on to actually prove this point. So we're going to go to another gospel. We're going to go to the gospel of Mark. We're going to go in right in chapter 1. Now, a lot of this information I got from a guy, a scholar named Mike Lakota, who does a really good job of laying this out. He has a YouTube channel as well, if you don't want to read his book. But he does an excellent job of, like, making connections together. It's dry as can be. It's super boring, but super good um, scholarship. And I, I'm be honest, even though I know a lot of stuff, I actually don't like reading. I, I, I actually don't. I have so many books that are on my shelf that make me look way smarter than I actually am. So... Now, we're going to read chapter uh, 1, verse 1 through 3 here, and we're going to see what it says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face and prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, who is Mark quoting here? Isaiah, right? So he's already telling you where to go. So if you're reading this and you're, you know, someone in the ancient world, you'd be like, oh, connection. Let me look this up. What does it say in Isaiah? So we're going to go to where he's actually quoting in Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And I want to show you they're directly quoting here. Let me know. Say amen when you guys are there. I know it's Isaiah 43. It's like way on the other side. Go, oh, two people. The rest of you guys are slow. All right, there we go. All right. So it says right in here, it says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
So what is Isaiah talking about? Let's do a quick lesson real quick here in Isaiah. So in Isaiah chapter 40, God, or excuse me, in Isaiah chapter 9 right before, Isaiah is warning Israel of their captivity that's about to happen with who? The Babylonians, right? And so he's like, he's trying to warn them. And what do the people of Israel do? They don't listen like us. You know, we never listen to our warnings. You'll see like your check, check, uh, check engine light on. You're like, I could see a mechanic, but I'm going to keep driving. That one's for me. That's me preaching myself there. Um, but just like human nature, a lot of people ignore it. So then in chapter 40, Isaiah is making a prophetic word that God is going to rescue Israel from his captivity. And so I want you to, we're going to read through part of chapter 40, uh, verse 1 through 3, and I want to see if you guys can make some connections here. Let's, let's get the brains turning. It says, comfort, comfort for my people, says, our, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her through her warfare is ended and her inequity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand uh, double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So what's the connection here? The connection is just like God has rescued Israel and forgiven them for their sins and has freed them from captivity, Jesus, God in the flesh, is doing the same thing for our sins. That's the connection there. There's a reason why Mark is purposely quoting that section. Because the Israelis or the Israeli people or any of the Jews are going to be like, oh, Here's the Messiah we've been waiting for. Just like God has freed us from Egypt and Babylon and has brought us through so much, he will come through again. There's so many connections throughout Mark. We could literally go through a whole three hours and literally go through so many verses and just check out all the times that they are referencing that you understand that Jesus is God. The same God that has always existed from the beginning of time. So we're going to go down. We're not going to go through like each chapter for the sake of time, obviously. But I want to point this out. We're going to go to Luke, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. Because some of these are a little hard to catch. So chapter 4 of Mark, verse 35 through 41. And say amen when you're there. Perfect. All right, we're going to read this story here from the Gospel of Mark. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill the water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, his head on a cushion, because that's how cool God is. He just relaxes in the most crazy of times. The disciple woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we are about to drown? And Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and said, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. So if we were talking to disciples, we'd be like, duh, bro, he's God. That's how he did that, right? So you hear this there, and you're like, okay, what's the cross-reference? Well, I'm going to show you where the cross-reference is. We're going to go to Psalm uh, 89.9. 
I'm going to make you guys like move so many places here. But I'm just going to go ahead and read it uh, for the sake of time. You rule the raging of the sea, and when the waves rise, you still them. So many beautiful connections. Now, you're probably like, wait, that's like one verse, James. Didn't you say, don't just give one verse? I did. So we're going to read more of it. We're going to go to, we're going to read Psalm of, uh, part of Psalm 89. I'm going to read 9 through 15 to prove my point that this verse in Mark is referencing the power of God and why Jesus is God. It says, you rule the oceans, you subdue their storms, tossed waves, you crush the great sea monster, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arms. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. You created north and south, Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. Praise your name. Powerful is your arm. Strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Unfailing love, truth walks before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship for they walk in the light of, the, of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day, long in your wonderful reputation. They exalt you in righteousness. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Yes, our protection comes from the Lord, and he, the Holy One of Israel, has given us our king. Cross-references are beautiful. There's no mistake that when Mark was writing this down, you are supposed to make these connections throughout the Psalms and throughout Isaiah, that when you're reading all these different things, you're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, just like the stories I heard as a kid. And that still applies to us today. We not be, we're, not, we're not obviously ancient Jews in the first century, but we, unlike them, have all of the Scripture available to us. We have the Internet. We have YouTube. We have really smart people here. We got Dan, we got Matt, we got Brent, we got uh, Nate, we got, Rob's a really good Bible guy. He just doesn't like to say a lot, but that guy's full of up. Leslie, uh, who else? All you guys, you guys are all really intelligent. Rob, like we're able to edify and remind yourself of each other and learn. And we can go to people with these strengths. There is no reason that we should not be able to evangelize people well and talk about why we believe what we believe. And this only scratches the surface. So I have homework for you all. And I expect you guys to do it all great. I'm not going to do that. But if you do want to take the time, seriously, look up Mike Lakota and just listen to some of the stuff he talks about in making those connections in Mark. Because it's beautiful. It's all over from the first chapter to, I forget, what chapter is Mark in then? 16. There we go. I mean, it's all over the place. <laughs> now, I said in this sermon earlier, I had three main goals, right? The scriptural evidence. I think we made plenty of evidence that Jesus is God. Tell me if you agree with that. Amen. All right. So we're going to move on for that because I want to talk about why it actually matters. And I think this is really important because it's easy to know scripture. It's one thing to actually apply it and have practical application for it. Because I think if I just gave you guys a lecture, it would not be super helpful. And I can be pretty long-winded, as many as you know, but I think this is really important because we are living in a time where people do not know who Jesus is. Many people have very different views on who Jesus is. You have your Jehovah Witnesses who will say that he's the archangel uh, uh, Michael, right? And you have Mormons who say he's just a god among many gods. Mormons have tons of gods. The heavenly father that they talk about is just a god among tons of other gods. 
and then you could become a god, which is really wacky. But this is important because when you're talking to people, you want to explain to them what's the difference, right? I one time had two Mormons come to my door, and we're ta- we talked for about an hour. I even offered them um, some barbecue I was cooking, and they didn't eat it, though, so I was a little offended, like, oh, you're just going to, you know, this is good stuff, man. Um, but we were talking, right? And they did something. They said, hey, you know, before we leave, can we pray for you? And I was like, no, you can't, actually. Because we don't believe in the same God. Muslims believe he's a prophet, right? And they'll, they'll say things. You'll hear Muslims say, like, we love Jesus more than you guys. He's mentioned so much in the Quran, but that's not the same Jesus. So it's important that we understand. And then you have also um, people in what's called the New Age movement where Jesus is considered maybe an ascended master or someone like Richard Rohr who says something about the universal Christ, people who've, humans who've made this like divine enlightenment. None of those are Jesus. And this matters because like I said earlier, if you do not know who Jesus is, the gospel does not make sense. Right now there's been a group of people that have been really on my heart over the last year I got to learn about what's called New Age spirituality, which is a complicated system um, that may include things like what's called neo-paganism, European uh, spiritualism, African spiritualism, witches, warlocks. Um, It's a very large group, right? It's one of the fastest growing religions in the United States besides um, Islam, actually, believe it or not. And New Age can look like many different things. This includes groups like the Christian Science Group, which has the word Christian, but is like not Christian at all. <laughs> you have things like pseudoscience, Eastern religious practices, witchcraft, paganism. Um, you have things that sometimes include uh, quasi-Hinduism and weird kind of quasi-Buddhist ideas. You have people who can include like uh, sometimes Christian mysticism, tarot cards, the use of psychics, crystals, sage. This is one of the fastest growing groups in the country. Now, before you go, James, you're one of those crazy people who says, don't listen to Harry Potter or whatever. No, not one of those people, all right? I actually really like the books. But this growing movement is one of the fastest movements in the United States. And if you don't understand what people believe, how can you talk to them, right? You have to understand. And sometimes this can require lots of research, but this is part of the job we live in. We see this, what Paul does. Right in, if you go to Acts 8, 17, Acts 17, I believe, when he is talking to uh, the Greek philosophers, he knows what they believe in. He doesn't, um, like, have this vague idea of what it is or, like, kind of, like, you know, uh, doesn't understand it. He understands what they believe and takes that and says, let me show you what the truth actually is. And because this movement is growing so fast, I think a lot of Christians aren't really understanding that this is going to come with a whole new set of apologetic tools. We have apologetics for atheists. We have it for Mormons, right? We have it for Muslims. We have it for all these other groups. But what I'm finding is that we don't actually understand this group or how to engage or why people decide to join these movements, And if you don't understand that, then it's going to be hard to understand or how to engage with them. And before, you know, you say, I'm just uh, someone who is, um, 
you know, uh, warning about <laughs> weird things that maybe be real or not real, right? There's probably people in here when you say the words witchcraft, they're like, that's not even real. That sounds silly. That's Harry Potter and TV, right? It doesn't really matter if it's real or not. If you go to somewhere like Claire's Jewelry and look at the stuff they're selling kids, it is a lot of pagan symbols, right? If you go to Barnes and Noble under their self-help section, it's mostly witchcraft and spell books, so a lot of people are going to these things because they believe that this is bringing them closer to the divine, like a lot of other religions. And this number here, this survey that was done by um, the Census Bureau, is actually going to, uh, I think, shock a lot of you. While Americans currently, um, say most Americans as of right now, especially millennials and Gen Z, actually have no religious identity, it is estimated that eight out of 10 Americans share some type of belief in what is considered new age, whether it's astral projection, reincarnation, astrology, telepathy, psychic powers, fortune telling, or teller cards. So this is a very growing fast movement. And the other group that is growing very fast is also Islam. But like I said before, we know those groups and we know how to engage. But if we do not know how to engage people in a new age, we are missing people who need Jesus. We need to have a heart from people. We can't just look and be like, oh, they're weird. They use sorcery and witchcraft and weird cards. We need to show love. And we need to be like, these people need to be rich. This is your coworkers, your friends, your family members. That's how urgent this is, like any other people group. Um, I remember recently, we, or not recently, like a year ago, we had someone in his church come in um, who was talking about the history of the Bible um, it was with um, Vine and Branches. And he said that, what was it, 28% of people in Anchorage actually have some church affiliation. But if you think about it, it's probably way lower because they probably don't go consistently. So we have a whole unreached people group here in our city. And we have to understand who Jesus is because what people believe Jesus is is different than what we believe. They are searching for things where they say, yeah, Jesus is this cool new age guru. But we're like, no, there's actually more to that. He's not just a teacher. You could become so much closer to the thing you're seeking if you understand who Jesus is. And it's not just outside the church, it's in the church, which is even a bigger problem. Ligonier Ministries did a survey in 2020, or 2022, and this should have pastors worried. In this survey, 73% of self-identified Christians said, Jesus is a created being. I'm going to repeat that again for you guys can hear it. 73% of self-identified Christians said, Jesus is a created being. Now, self-identified can mean a lot of different things, right? There was a time where probably I, as an 11-year-old, was a self-identified Christian, completely unsaved, completely lost. But there's people who are sitting in churches who simply don't know this. There might be someone in here who has a major disagreement with what I'm saying. So we do not have time to not understand the Scriptures, Now, my third point is, why is this important in your life? Besides the evangelizing, besides understanding the scriptures, I have a bold statement to make. I think you could have a relatively good life and not accept Jesus as God. You can make tons of money. You could have a successful marriage, successful kids, whatever that means. 
You could be a very wealthy person who lives um, a peaceful life, because people do. But here's the thing, though. That's not the biggest problem is wealth and success and health. These are things that we all care about as humans. But it's our sin that is the major problem. Another human cannot save you. Not a prophet or a guru or a good teacher, a political leader, not an angel, not a king, not a judge. The problem with humans is we are humans and we look for so many other things to fulfill needs that we have. Whether it's looking for spirit guides or uh, friends or relationships, money, sex, all those things, uh, none of them will actually save you. They are nothing but a cheap imitation. Humans are flawed. And that's why it's so important to understand why Jesus is God. Because you need the perfect sacrifice to save humanity. The creator of the universe wants you to know that you do not need spells or incantations. You don't need to rely on a political party or an economic system. Honestly, doctors and health, these things are, I'm not saying these things are important, but I had all these things. And as I look back, none of them compare to what I have now. Jesus changed my life completely. And things aren't always perfect or easy. And I'm flawed just like anyone else, but Jesus has completely changed everything. And a lot of us need to remind it of just how the weight of sin destroys everything. Romans 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew or Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generally or generously to all who call on him and, forget, and, and for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As Christians, we have an obligation to tell people about Christ. Paul writes, and this is so timeless. All the scripture is timeless. Paul in Corinthians writes something that still applies today. Because right now, in the world, we seek so many other things, whether it's science, technology, knowledge. Just like the people back then, we're not different. Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. And when he's referring to that, he's talking really about human nature. Because obviously he didn't have iPhones back then, right? Come on. So we know that there is nothing new under the sun. Paul writes this, for the Jews require a sign. Think of all the people who want to seek these miraculous things outside of God. And the Greeks seek wisdom. Think of all the people who seek knowledge after knowledge and ideas after ideas. But we preach Christ, what? Crucified. And to the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto him which are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I think sometimes we believe, guys, 
And I'm not saying these things are bad, that if we do enough gifts and we do enough miracles and we do enough justice work, we have enough apologetics, or if we give to the poor enough, that somehow that will reach people. But the only message that actually reaches people is Christ crucified. That you are a sinner, that you are separated from God, but he gave his life to you so that you will not experience a physical death, but the resurrection itself. There is this thing where people argue on the internet that if Jesus heals everyone, I will say he heals everybody. Might not be in this life, but it'll be in the next. That you who believe in God, the God of the universe, who made you, wants you to return to him, reconcile to him. Our friends and family need this message. We all need this message. So that's why it's important. That's why it matters that Jesus is God. Because a human cannot save us. Jesus lived a perfect life for us and died on the cross and rose from the dead. So what I want to do is take some time, guys, to just pray for those who do not know God. Because that's how important it is to give us the strength and wisdom we need in order to reach those who don't know Jesus. So if there's someone in your life that you specifically are thinking about, I'm just going to ask if, we, if you want to come to this stage here altar. It doesn't really do anything magical. It's just more of a sign that we're going to just get on our knees and we're going to just pray for a moment on those who have not found the Lord. I end with this. If you're feeling discouraged or not hopeful, just look at my life as an example. I would say I was one of the most anti-Christian haters around just not even 10 years ago. If I can be saved, anyone can be. Back in 2013, I had a friend named Krista and her husband Daniel. They weren't married at the time when I worked in the Alaska legislator. And they would just talk to me and reach out to me, and I was so hostile to them. And I remember in 2013, they sent me this book called Mere Christianity. I read through it. I was like, this is garbage. I don't remember where I put it, but I remember Krista writing this beautiful letter in there. I wish I could find it. But they continue to pray for me. And look what's happened. Look at the fruits of that. Our prayers matter. So keep on reaching. Send someone a book. They might throw it in the garage somewhere. But God is so gracious because he sent me that book, or she sent me that book in 2013. And in 2017, I did a small group on that same book. Irony is probably the best word that describes my life. So, guys, thanks for uh, listening to this message today. You know, go out in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.